Now it's time for Ask Dr. Love with Dr. Jamie Turndorf, the number one relationship advice radio show in the U.S. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Ask Dr. Love. I'm Dr. Jamie Turndorf, and it's my pleasure to be with you again for today's show, The Anatomy of Infidelity. Cheating, two-timing, the wandering eye, extramarital affairs, infidelity, deceiving, betrayal, being unfaithful are all different names to describe the same thing. Today, I'm going to bear the facts on the anatomy of infidelity, and we're going to begin with a quiz to test your knowledge on the two-timing topic, and then we're going to go into detail and talk about what causes affairs, the truths and myths about affairs, and also what you can do to head off an affair before an attraction has the chance to tank your relationship. And then a little later in the show, I'll be revealing 10 little-known facts about affairs. I'm also going to be answering questions later in the show. The first one is, in, it's called, there is a girl at work that I want to be friends with, but I get super anxious. And this in this question, I'm going to help a guy who's suffering from extreme social anxiety that is preventing him from moving forward with a coworker who he really likes. And if I have time, I'll answer some other questions as well, and even tackle a reading between the sheets question, which is a sex question. So on to today's show, the anatomy of infidelity. So before we talk about what causes an affair and what you can do to prevent it, let's start with this quiz and see how much you know on the topic. So the first question in my quiz is an answer, true or false. Most men who cheat are unhappy in their relationship or marriage. True or false? The answer is false. 56% of men who had affairs were happy in their marriage, according to a study by Helen Fisher, a biological anthropologist at Rutgers University and the author of Why Him, Why Her, and Why We Love. By comparison, only 34% of women who had affairs were happy or very happy in their marriage. So men are more likely to give sexual motivations for infidelity and less likely to fall in love with an extramarital partner. For men, it's a secondary strategy as opposed to an alternative where women are more interested in supplementing their marriage or actually jumping ship more than men are interested. Now, here's the next question. Women are more likely than men to give which of the following reasons for infidelity? Revenge, sexual novelty, sexual frequency, or loneliness? If you said loneliness, your answer is correct. Researchers say that most often men and women have different reasons for being unfaithful. Men search for more sex or attention and women look to fill an emotional void. Women tend to have an emotional connection with their lover and are more likely to have an affair because of loneliness. Now, here's your next question. Infidelity is the leading cause of divorce. True or false? It's false. Although infidelity is the main reason unmarried couples who are living together split up, the same is not true of married couples. Married couples often cite being incompatible or unable to communicate as the cause of their divorce. Ready for your next question? What percentage of husbands say they've had sex outside of their marriage? 15%, 25%, 36%, or 52%. Well, get this. Statistics from the American Association for Marriage and Family Therapy say that 25% of husbands report having had sex outside of their marriage. 
when emotional affairs or sexual intimacy without intercourse, such as kissing, are included, that number jumps to 45%. Or right, here's your next question. What percentage of wives say they've had sex outside their marriage? 15, 25, 36, or 52? The right answer? 15%. Statistics from that same organization, the American Association for Marriage and Family Therapy, say only 15% of wives report having had sex outside of their marriage. Like men, the number does go up when you include emotional affairs or things like kissing. 35% of wives admit to that. Next quiz question. If you think your partner is cheating, you should discuss it with him or her, even if you don't have concrete evidence, true or false. Well, if you said true, you're right. Experts say it's important to address concerns about infidelity early, even if you have no clear proof that your partner is having an affair. Whether or not it's happened, the couple has to has a lot of work to do on their trust and communication so they can move forward in their relationship. And what about spying on your partner? Well, don't do it. You may be able to prove there was an affair, but you'll never prove there wasn't. And you'll destroy the trust and communication you need to have a good relationship. And that can be more damaging to a marriage or a relationship than sexual infidelity itself. Now, here's a very interesting question. Highly educated people are more likely to have affairs. True or false? Well, the answer is false. A National Marriage Project study found that highly educated people are less likely to be unfaithful than their less educated peers. In the 2000s, 13% of people with a college education said they had sex outside their marriage, compared to 19% of those who were moderately educated and 21% of those with at least with the least education high school dropouts. So get educated have less affairs. Next question. A woman is least likely to be unfaithful if her income is equal to her husband or a partner's, greater than her husband's, slightly less than her husband's, much less than her husband's. The answer, the correct answer is much less than her husband's. A Cornell University study on income and infidelity found that women are least likely to stray when they depend on their husband's income. They may have fewer opportunities to cheat and may decide it isn't worth it because their livelihood may be at risk. Now, what about a guy? A man is more likely to cheat if his wife is the main breadwinner, true or false? And the answer is true. That same Cornell University study found that men who were completely dependent on their wives' incomes were five times more likely to cheat than men who contributed equally. It's not just money, though. When age, education level, income, religious attendance, and relationship satisfaction were taken into account, there wasn't any difference between men who depended on their wives' income and those who didn't. Your next quiz question is, a man is more likely to cheat if he is the main breadwinner. True or false? True. Ironically, the same Cornell University study found that men who bring home most of the household income are also more likely to cheat. Men were least likely to cheat when their partners made about 75% of their incomes. Your next quiz question. It could be a sign that your partner is cheating or thinking about cheating if he or she changes how he or she looks gives you gifts, constantly criticizes you, or does all of the above? The correct answer is does all of the above. Experts say 
Partners who cheat often begin paying more attention to their appearance, criticizing their spouses, and or giving unsolicited gifts. When one, one partner is constantly critical, he or she may be setting up the other partner to be the one at fault. And a partner who gives gifts may be feeling guilty. Now, this one's a really interesting question. Where can you go to jail for cheating? South Carolina, Minnesota, Michigan, or all of the above? Amazingly, all of the above. Laws against adultery remain on the books in many states. Of course, they're rarely enforced. Now, here's another fascinating quiz question for you. Genetic testing could help determine how likely your partner is to cheat, true or false. True. It's not proof, and genetics aren't destiny, but there's some evidence that genes linked to sensation-seeking behaviors like drinking, alcohol, or gambling may also be associated with sexual promiscuity and infidelity. Um, there was a study that focused on the DRD4 gene, which is associated with reward and feeling good. People with a variation of that gene were more likely to commit infidelity or be promiscuous. 50% of the people with the variation reported being unfaithful compared with 22% of people who didn't have the variation. Okay, now your next quiz question. What's the best way to heal a relationship after infidelity, according to experts? Temporary separation, individual psychotherapy, joint couples therapy, or anger management? The right answer, joint couples therapy. The first priority of couples co coping with infidelity should be building trust again, and that happens best if they get help together. While seeing an individual therapist may also help, it could build a wall of secrecy and privacy between the partners and lead to further alienation. But you've got to be careful who you choose as a couple therapist. I can't tell you how many thousands of people I've seen over the decades who um, ended up getting ripped apart by couples therapists who are not adequately trained to do the work. Who should set the timetable for a relationship's recovery after an infidelity? The couple's therapist, the partner who cheated, the partner who was betrayed, or both partners together? It said that the right answer is the partner who was betrayed. The betrayed person should set the timetable for recovery, while the person who cheated may be eager to pull, you know, put the affair in the rear view mirror. The cheater needs to honor the cheaties timetable. Now, let me give you some 10 bare facts on affairs. Here's fact number one. The statistics on the frequency of affairs don't add up. People lie, even in anonymous polls. Also, general polls are often not reliable. An 18-year-old who says he's never had an affair isn't saying much. The percentages of those who say they had affairs ranges from 25% to 75% of all males and 15% to 60% of women. A psychologist named Leighton Thull, who specializes in internet research and has interviewed 3,600 people who have had affairs, says the current acceptable statistic is roughly half of all men and women, including, including the persons victimized by the deception. That's the, uh, the statistics for how many got involved in extramarital affairs. And uh, another researcher, Abraham Spring, who worked with couples for more than 25 years says affairs affect one of every 2.7 couples. So that's almost 
Here's another bare fact. Someone, somewhere, in an extramarital affair, always loses. Your third bare fact. Affairs often feel like love because you get very close emotionally and physically very quickly, but it's a fake closeness. And you have to be aware of that. And don't let the excitement chemicals that are running through your body fool your brain into thinking that it's more than just sex. Here's your fourth bare fact. Often these kinds of affairs are stormy. Your fifth bare fact, you often make a banquet out of crumbs. By that, it means like if you're cheating with someone who's married, you don't get to see that person very often, so you're making a banquet out of crumbs. The sixth bare fact is forbidden fruit is sweeter. Why do people risk everything for a stolen kiss, sweaty palms, rapid heart rate? Why do writers dramatize the suffering in popular mythology? Remember that movie, Bridges of Madison County? It was a book too, I think. The English Patient, Gone with the Wind and Shakespeare in Love. Because the affair is a drug. It's a fix. You can't wait until the next time, the next fix. It's very addicting. You feel you can't live without it. The allure of secret relationships, they create greater arousal, passion, and obsession than with non-secret relationships. Addictive love also experiences changes on a physiological level. In the throes of romantic love, people experience a high from natural amphetamine-like chemicals like dopamine and norepinephrine. But in the next stage of love, the brain releases endorphins, which are natural painkillers that soothe and create a sense of security and calm. Bear fact number seven, you mistake sexual chemistry for love. The signs and symptoms are familiar. People in love fantasize, pine, obsess. They lose sleep. They lose weight. You think the love must be real because the chemistry between you is so explosive and you're willing to sacrifice so much for this passion. Bear fact number eight, affairs are blind. You idealize the other person, assigning him or her more positive attributes than any one person could actually possess. And at the same time, you're likely to paint your partner in an equally distorted but negative light as a foil for your lover. Bear fact number nine, false ideas about love. Most contemporary marriages start out with romantic love, but feelings of love are neither steady nor constant, but travel in a natural cycle. And if your relationship doesn't live up to your ideas or your ideals about love, the problem may not be with your relationship, but with your ideas. Falling out of love with a spouse and in love with someone else often rekindles that early experience of romantic love. It's why lovers say, he or she made me feel young again. But sooner or later, lovers in an extramarital affair have to confront the dynamic nature of their relationship and move on to a deeper bond or sever the connection. And here's your last bare fact, number 10. Behind the passion is old scars. The grand passion may have more to do with your unmet childhood needs than with who this other person really is. I'm going to talk more about old scars a little bit later because this is, a, for me, a big factor in extramarital affairs and cheating. Now, did you know that affairs follow a specific pattern? 
In fact, affairs fall into four stages. Stage one, there's a spark and you develop a close bond. And this is the talking phase. It could happen on the internet, in the neighborhood, or at work, the gym, right? Stage two, you keep the relationship a secret and don't tell your spouse or friends that you are emotionally attracted to this other person. You're in deep when you decide to keep what's happening a secret. And of course, the secrecy fuels the fire. The taboo nature of affairs, the way people don't speak openly about them, actually fuels more affairs. Now, stage three of the affairs is you start seeing each other, playing tennis, meeting for lunch or drinks. You may rationalize that you're only seeing a friend or colleague, but deep down, you know this isn't true. Stage four is getting down. Sometimes the affair leads to a new relationship or marriage. Other times it's a roller coaster ride that lasts a few months or years. And then there are lifetime affairs like that of Spencer Tracy and Catherine Hepburn. But what's really wild is the fact that people tend to use the same expressions when discussing the passion, betrayal, and pain associated with their affairs. Words like, nobody ever made me feel this way before. I wanted to kill myself. If I had to choose one person to live with me on a deserted island, it would be him or her. So why do people fall into affairs? Researchers point to a combination of issues in the individual and in the marriage. Personal issues run the gamut from low self-esteem to midlife crises in which people question everything at work and at home. Marital problems may stem from getting married very young or having a job that takes a spouse away from home, emotionally as well as physically. With so many different factors, researchers remind us that you can't create a cookie-cutter formula to explain infidelity, and nor do they use labels like bad marriage or weakness of character. As a society, we give a lot of lip service to, but actually undermine monogamy. We learn at a very early age to associate sex with deception and secrecy. Think about it. By not talking to our teens about sex, we show them to keep it a secret. And that sets up expectations that sexual fulfillment can only be attained in secret, in secret relationships. Secrecy, many researchers maintain, is the enemy of monogamy. Secrecy is the enemy of monogamy. Let me give you a couple of tweets to drive the messages that I've been talking about home. These are a little bit X-rated, but I can slip it in. No pun intended. Partners often say, screw you, by finding someone else to screw. People often cheat because forbidden love is sweet. Refusing to screw your significant other is a good way to throw him or her into the arms of another. When a man is starved of appreciation, he may fall into extramarital fornication. When a woman is starved of emotional company, she may go looking for another Humpty Dumpty. Oh my God. So, you know, as long as I don't say swear words, I can get away with some little racy, edgy stuff. So, what we're going to do now is we're going to take a break. When we come back from the break, I'm going to talk with you a little bit more about the aftermath of an affair and the recovery from an affair. And then we'll go on to your questions. All right, be back with you in a moment on Ask Dr. Love. You're listening to Ask Dr. Love with Dr. Jamie Turndorf. If your heart is still hurting over the bodily loss of your loved one, the reason is simple. We're not meant to be separated from those we love. 
and reconnecting is the only way to end the grief. But reconnecting and staying connected requires guidance. As a gift to her listeners, Dr. Turndorf is offering a limited number of discounted grief relief sessions to help you reestablish a relationship with loved ones in spirit and resolve any unfinished issues. If you're ready to experience the healing and joy of reconnecting, visit drjamieturndorf.com slash griefrelief to schedule your session. But don't wait. Space is limited. Visit drjamieturndorf.com slash griefrelief to find out more. And now, back to Dr. Turndorf. Hello again, and welcome back to Ask Dr. Love. I'm Dr. Jamie Turndorf, and I'm talking with you about the anatomy of infidelity. And now we're going to talk about the aftermath of an affair, how to recover, how to rebuild your world, because affairs rock your world. Life is really never the same again. All parties involved experience a profound sense of loss and pain. The old status quo is gone. The future is uncertain. After finding out the hurt partner experiences the most basic loss of self, the cheated on partner feels alien in his or her own skin. Your most basic assumptions about the order of the universe have been turned upside down. It's really devastating. The person confessing to an infidelity experiences the full gamut from guilt to self-loathing. And often there is also relief. Leading a double life can become increasingly difficult for people engaged in affairs. Getting the truth out relieves them of carrying the burden of betrayal alone. To some therapists, honesty is essential too. If the couple is to stay married or together and lay down a new framework for their relationship, some people are glad that the affair is over and want to reestablish their marriage. They're just so thankful to be with one person again in one place. They want to move forward and forgive and forget. The betrayed spouse may also find relief. Even if the affair seems to come out of the blue, the underlying causes of infidelity have probably been present for some time. And there can be a sense of relief when the truth is finally out, you know, like the boil came to a head and got popped. It's like a storm that flattens everything and allows fresh air to come through. The cheater faces his or her own set of problems. How do you rebuild your life without the affair? At first, there is profound aloneness and confusion. All parties in extramarital affairs often report thoughts of suicide. What people want to kill isn't themselves, but the pain. Secrecy may be what sustains the affair while it's going on, but it also exacerbates the pain. It exacerbates, it makes it worse when the affair is over. Suddenly there's no one to talk to, the loved one is gone. And unlike a death or divorce that prompts support from family and friends, the breakup of an affair goes largely unnoticed. Yet everyone in the triangle suffers a sense of loss, a loss of self and a loss of love. And researchers believe the great hypocrisy in our culture is that while affairs are so prevalent, most people remain largely unsympathetic and close to the complexities and the pain. And they slip into the stereotypes about infidelity and offer pat advice, leave the no good two-timer or focus on labels like, oh, he's a homewrecker, or they blame themselves, I wasn't sexy enough. Cliches provide protection. We don't want to believe that a man could have an affair on a wife who's loving and sensual and kind. That means it could happen to us. An affair is a symptom. 
And I said a moment ago, screwing somebody else is often a nonverbal screw you that's directed at the partner who's being cheated on. The bottom line is this. If you don't feed each other what I call relationship essential nutrients each and every day, somebody is likely to stray. When positive feelings stop flowing, when we feel starved in our relationship, that's when one or both of you are tempted to graze elsewhere in search of a feeding. Enter cheating. When you think about the body, you know that it requires essential nutrients to thrive. Well, a relationship is no different. It needs care and feeding to survive too. So I've coined that expression, relationship essential nutrients, which are a relationship's minimum daily requirements. If you know what these nutrients are and, they, and you feed them to each other, you have the best shot out there of heading off cheating before it starts. So what I want you to know is that relationship essential nutrients are different for men and women. Men's essential nutrients can be boiled down to what I call the two A's, admiration and appreciation. Men are raised to make things happen, to act and produce. When a man loves a woman, he's wired to move heaven and earth to make her happy. In turn, a man needs to feel that his woman values what he does for her. In short, men need to be A, admired, and A, appreciated for their strength, power, achievements, as well as their efforts to protect and provide for their women and their offspring. These are the two A's. Most relationships go sour for men because women nag and complain about what their man is not doing right. To have a happy relationship or marriage, the savvy woman knows that she has to directly state what she wants and what pleases her rather than complain after the fact over what she didn't get. Because when a woman falls into what I call the three Scrooges, nagging, whining, and complaining, fight trap, in no time a guy feels useless as a man which causes him to give up on his partner, stop trying to please her in and out of the bedroom and go looking for a woman who does value him. And by the way, research shows that when men are asked why they cheated, it's rarely because they were feeling starved for sex. And just so you know, since couples tend to shower each other with praise during the honeymoon phase, it's easy for a man to get seduced by the rewards of another woman who makes him feel unconditionally admired and appreciated. And when a man gets adequate admiration and appreciation from his partner, he doesn't need to go looking elsewhere for it. Okay, now what are the relationship essential nutrients for women? What exactly do women need to be happy in relationships? While men are biologically wired to be protectors and providers, a woman is biologically programmed to find a mate who will provide and protect her and her offspring. And yes, it is that simple for a woman. And don't be fooled, even if a woman earns a good living and doesn't need a man to take care of her financially, her biological programming does not know this. In fact, according to research, even wealthy women choose life partners who are even more financially successful than they are. Women have a biologically programmed need to feel safe, protected, and secure. This need is fueled by a primitive, biologically-based survival of the species imperative to choose men who will never abandon them and their offspring. And the need to be sure that a man will never abandon her and her offspring explains why a woman requires frequent reassurances in words and actions of her man's devotion. I call this emotional providing. 
A woman needs to feel that she is first in her man's world, that he listens to her, takes her feelings to heart and shows her in words and actions that he values her above all others, all of which provide a deep feeling of security that he'll never leave. And I go into full detail on relationship in essential nutrients in two of my books, Make Up, Don't Break Up and Kiss Your Fights Goodbye. And to find all about, find out all about relationship essential nutrients, read the book if you want to cheat proof your relationship. Now, I said earlier in the show that cheating is often caused by unhealed old scars from childhood. Let me give you an example of what I mean. Many decades ago, a man came to me because he was a serial cheater. He kept cheating on his wife. She was still attractive. So I wanted to figure out what psychological hole he was trying to fill. No pun intended. Did, and I did some digging and I found out that his dad left home when he was young and he really felt starved for love when he was a little boy. And as we talked about the wound and I helped him to heal the wound, guess what? He stopped cheating. We healed the old scar. It stopped fueling the cheating behaviors. There are a couple of ways that old scars can actually cause us to cheat or induce our partners to cheat on us. So the first way is if you were abandoned as a child, you'll be terrified of being dropped by your partner. And this fear can actually lead you to suspect and even accuse an innocent partner. And eventually you can actually push someone into cheating. And you can't believe how many thousands of patients I've had over the decades say to me, listen, I might as well cheat. I'm being accused of it over and over. I might as well do it. Now, cheating can also be a way of creating space and distance fear of intimacy and closeness, which itself is due to another old scar, specifically if you had a smothering, invasive parent. Fear of being taken over by your partner can lead you to have this pathological need to create space and distance. Now, here's another link to old scars. When we think of cheating, we assume that the partner who is cheated on is an innocent bystander. But in reality, the cheatee often has a hand in provoking the cheating. I know this is not a popular position, but stay with me on this. Keep an open mind. On the most superficial level, the cheatee isn't providing the relationship essential nutrients and is pushing the cheater away. And on a deeper level, it's often the case that the cheatee may actually have an unconscious need to be cheated on. And I know it sounds nuts, but in intimate partners, relationships, we will often induce the other person to behave in ways that meet our own unconscious emotional needs. Let me give you an example. I have a patient who came to me because her husband was exploding in rage, but she seemed so meek and sweet. But guess what? As soon as I got the husband to behave and stop exploding, she began to rage. The point is she unconsciously arranged to provoke him to get him to express her own unwanted anger. That's projection. And when he wasn't her mouthpiece anymore, her own anger came surging to the surface. With cheating, the cheat E may have a need to be cheated upon to create space or to recreate an earlier ab abandonment wound from childhood. It's all very complicated. The bottom line is you've got to know yourself. This means you need to be aware of your own old scars from childhood and you need to heal them, as does your partner, in order to fully cheat-proof your relationship. And 
not only to cheat proof your relationship, but also to help you recover from an infidelity. Because when you dig deeply and you find out what old scars were fueling the infidelity, it helps you to stop laying so much blame on the person who cheated. It helps you take more responsibility for your role, albeit an unconscious role. Helps you understand more about the dynamics that your partner is suffering with and vice versa. So if you're interested in learning more about this, how the old scars affect your ability to maintain a relationship and can induce you to cheat or be cheated upon, check out Kiss Your Fights Goodbye. There's a section, a chapter in Kiss Your Fights Goodbye where I actually outline each of the old scars and how they manifest in your adult relationships. All righty. So now I think we have a little time for me to get to the first question before we have to break. So let's jump in. This is the question that's entitled, there is a girl at work that I want to be friends with, but I get super anxious. Dear Dr. Turndorf, there's a girl at work and we knew each other for months, but never talked. I never talked to anyone because of my anxiety. I only ask people for help when I have to. Everything was fine. I always thought she was kind of cool and cute, but I knew that I have anxiety, so I never bothered talking to her. One day I asked her for help, but kind of anxious looking in her eyes, and I think it bothered her. And that day I had to ask her for help many times, and she was always happy about it. While usually people kind of are people kind of people are kind of emotionless with me. Mm. That day she was very nice and was doing funny things and even called me bestie. We never spend that much time together. And the next days, I kind of wanted to interact with her more. I've never had a person so nice to me. And she's super positive and super cool. I have social anxiety, so I have difficulty just talking to her. And she never talks to me either while she is not helping me. I made a cartoon drawing of her and for weeks was anxious to show her. I felt it was kind of weird of me to do because we weren't that close after all. I was ruminating about this for weeks, literally making me overly anxious to be around her. And one day I just showed her and she liked it. She said that she was glad I did it and that I shouldn't have been shy about it. The next days became extremely awkward for me because we still weren't talking. And I thought she uh, was just a social person and would just talk to me. She did look at me a lot since then, and I kind of felt very uncomfortable making eye contact. And since then, I couldn't be around her, though she didn't do anything wrong. I was feeling very awkward every time around her feeling I have to say something, but it was weeks since I showed her the art and we never spoke since. And I had no reason to ask her for help and was very anxious to talk to her. She started paying me more attention, which made me awkward. One day I had to ask her for help and she was her usual super positive self. And she even sort of curtsy bowed me, which was very sweet. I kind of thought she didn't find my awkwardness weird after all, but I'm still hell of an anxious around her. We never talk ever. We often have weird eye contact and I even avoid her sometimes. But when I ask her for help, she is ultra positive and curtsying with me. I kind of do like her as a girl but I feel like she's better as a friend. But anyway, I can't talk to her because I'm anxious. And sometimes I feel like she really wants me to talk to her, but I'm always super anxious and awkward around her. Sometimes I think she's just a nice person, doesn't think anything of me because she literally never tried to talk to me. 
She always reacts to me in a super positive and nice way. She often talks to other coworkers while I'm super anxious to talk to anyone. And one more thing, she's too positive. So sometimes I think she's just acting nice because she wants a positive work environment. I kind of feel like she will like anything I would do, but I would never know if she actually likes it. I think I'm overthinking too much and I should just talk to her, but I think she sees how awkward I am and I feel not confident uh, confident about talking to her. To clarify, she never was not positive and nice to me while we were actually talking, but we can just spend a week never talking and never even smiling or saying hi. But when I ask her for help, she's super nice. What should I do? Okay. So look, my heart really goes out to you because I can feel your anxiety leaping through the screen. I said scream, but it's screen. But scream is not the wrong word because your anxiety is screaming. I sense that you would really like to be closer to this woman, but you're not sure if she likes you or if she's just being friendly to create a positive work environment and to help you perform your job. I understand that you would like to have more of a connection with her, but you're terrified to take the risk of making a more direct overture and face rejection. Your anxiety is causing you to focus inward on your own thoughts, and this makes it hard for you to focus on her. And being caught in your own emotional net makes you blind to see the signs that she is sending you. She has given you several signs, what I call green lights, that she has positive feelings for you. Green lights are what women give men so that they can step up and make what seems like the first move, but the green lights are actually the woman's first move. She responded positively to your cartoon. That's her first green light. She encouraged you to not feel shy about it. That response is a clear green light. If she had no interest, she would have politely thanked you and walked away. Her body language um, is another green light. The curtsying she did more than once is a playful, receptive, submissive behavior. A superior wouldn't act like this way if she didn't feel a pull to you, nor would a coworker. And also, you you mentioned that she's make she was making eye contact with you. Eye contact is a big green light. It's solicitation that says, "I'm looking at you. Come toward me." You looked back at her, but because of your anxiety, you didn't make your move. She sounds really old-fashioned. She has encouraged you and the ball is in your court. Now, the real obstacle here is your social anxiety. You have a clear terror of being rejected. And I'm sure there are causes for your anxiety that trace all the way back to your early life. You have some old scar. And I suspect that someone rejected or abandoned you when you were young or criticized you, put you down, didn't help you to feel good about yourself. And I sense though, that even if we identify the origin of your old scar fear, I do not feel that talking therapy is going to be sufficient to resolve your terror. Now, many people resort to taking drugs to manage anxiety, but I'm not in favor of this approach. Anti-anxiety drugs are addictive and they cause rebound anxiety when you try to get off of them, but there is another way for you. There's a lot of research that proves social anxiety is due to low cellular magnesium levels and that supplementing with magnesium reverses the underlying chemical imbalance that causes the anxiety. I want you to immediately read my latest book. If you think you don't have PTSD, think again. The book goes into great detail on all the conditions that are caused by low magnesium, including anxiety and social anxiety. You're going to be surprised to discover that magnesium is needed in over 1,040 enzymatic functions in the body. And all it takes is one accident, one stress, or one illness for the body to lose all its magnesium stores. And as a result, when we lose magnesium, diseases and conditions result. Blood tests are not an accurate measure 
of magnesium cellular levels. And last but not least, oral magnesium as a medicinal medication is likely to cause gastric disturbances. And for this reason, I recommend Electra Magnesium. It's applied to your skin. It instantly enters your bloodstream and goes to work. And I always say, I don't sell it. I'm not a distributor. I don't receive commissions. I recommend Electromagnesium as a public service in support of my healing mission. I've used Electra Magnesium on workshop patients who are in the throes of full-blown panic attacks, and they calm down immediately. Magnesium is a central nervous system tranquilizer, and you desperately need it. You can buy the spritz oil, which is the strongest form, from the Electra Amazon store, but be careful to make sure to use the right store. There is a link on um, Ask Dr. Love homepage that will take you to the Electromagnesium store. Don't just do a search on Amazon. It's going to take you to the wrong page. And the official store is adding more products to Amazon in the near future. You're going to want to use 21 sprays per day in three divided doses. And you can use as much as you like since you can't overdose on magnesium administered via skin. The key is to have enough magnesium on board before you face a stressful situation in order to prevent another episode of magnesium depletion, because in this way, your body can draw upon the magnesium reserves and prevent you from becoming stressed out. It can take up to two years to fully replenish your cellular magnesium levels, so stick with it. I suggest you spray yourself. Then when you feel calm, go talk to this woman. You're gonna feel calmer right away, and this is gonna make it easier for you to reach out to her. And then when you have some success, you're gonna feel more confident to keep going. I want you to let me know how you make out with her. I have high hopes for you. All right, let me take a break. I'll be back in a moment. You're listening to Ask Dr. Love with Dr. Jamie Turndorf. If your heart is still hurting over the bodily loss of your loved one, the reason is simple. We're not meant to be separated from those we love, and reconnecting is the only way to end the grief. But reconnecting and staying connected requires guidance. As a gift to her listeners, Dr. Turndorf is offering a limited number of discounted grief relief sessions to help you reestablish a relationship with loved ones in spirit and resolve any unfinished issues. If you're ready to experience the healing and joy of reconnecting, visit drjamieturndorf.com slash griefrelief to schedule your session. But don't wait. Space is limited. Visit drjamieturndorf.com slash griefrelief to find out more. And now, back to Dr. Turndorf. Hello again, and welcome back to Ask Dr. Love. By the way, that link, drjamieturndorf.com forward slash griefrelief, is just to schedule the session. I have a special page there just for my radio show listeners. But to visit my main site, you want to go to askdrlove.com. That's where all the columns that are posted, all the products, all the services that I offer you, the questions and answers, everything. Okay, here's the next question. Lost. To get my story to make sense, I need to tell you from A to Z. So here it goes. My boyfriend and I met when I was 18 at a gym. We started the relationship a month after having met three times. I understand the fact that we rushed things without being friends first, especially when clearly I wasn't over my ex. I got excited because I believed that he was the one because he peered just after I broke up with my ex. There's no, there's no words to explain, but yeah, I was pretty moved by his actions. After days of being together, my ex came to me and wanted me back. To be honest, I didn't think twice when I said, okay. I was blinded and one thing led to another. My boyfriend warned me about him. He didn't know I was with my ex while I was with him. 
After a few months, things got uglier. He found out about the affair. And a few months later, I found out he was actually with someone from the start, as in he was someone's boyfriend when he asked me to be his. It was no doubt the worst day of my life. I've caught him cheating a lot. I did the same too. I know for a fact that my affair was worse. But the thing that made me angry is that he never knew how I'm hurt too because of his affair. He said that I knew from the beginning you were never serious, so I did that as a revenge. Once he said that it's because he pities her, which is it? We will never know. We tried to go our separate ways. Our longest was three months, but we just can't live without each other. It's been three years since all the cheating and everything now. We're fine, but we just can't trust each other. I tried, but I just can't because I realized he's never been honest with me. But as for me, I'm 100% faithful. He hit me. He spit on me. He slapped me. He kicked me. I did too. It's a total love-hate situation. I am very close to being insane. I wanted to break up, but he never allows it, no matter how much I tried. I checked on the internet if I'm depressed, and what worries me is that I have all the symptoms of a depressed person. Him too. So I'm scared. I don't know what to do. Don't tell me we should break up, because it's never going to work. Sign, totally confused. Okay, so look, it's not my place to tell you what to do. You say that you worry that you're depressed. Well, how could you not be depressed? You're a human punching bag and a prisoner in your own emotional jail. I'm the jailer who can set you free. The key to your freedom is understanding. First, I want you to see that you and your boyfriend are actually mirror images of each other. You both were unfaithful to each other from the start. You both are unable to trust. You're both abusive. Your relationship consists of your taking turns torturing each other with infidelity and physical abuse. And just so you know, breaking up won't solve the problem. The problem will haunt you both wherever you go and no matter who you're with. I want you to also know that it's no accident that you chose each other and that you choose to stay with each other. If you want your life to change, you need to understand why. I'm betting that you are both filled with rage towards your parents and you both represent the other's hated parent and you take turns beating up on the parent and then doing penance for your bad behavior by taking a punishment. No wonder you can't let each other go. You both have unfinished business with your parents and you aren't done paying them back. If you want to get past this prison, read Kiss Your Fights Goodbye. The title of the book sounds like, well, I originally published the book, Till Death Do Us Part Unless I Kill You First. The original publication of the book really sounds like your life. And then Hay House republished it under Kiss Your Fights Goodbye. The book is going to help you identify the old scars that each of you carry from childhood. And next, it's going to show you how to heal the old scars with each other's help. To do this, you need to make a commitment to talk about your feelings, your hurt, your fear, your sadness, and so on without going into action. By action, I mean cheating, verbal attacks, physical attacks, no action. If you commit to this no action policy, your feelings will then be able to be put into words. Once they're in words, the healing can begin. When you speak, you are to listen and understand each other. Doing so is the way to help each other heal the old scars. If you will not commit to this plan, your relationship will be a war zone and nothing more. And you will both remain injured souls until your dying day. I've given you the blueprint for healing your depression and your relationship. I'd like to hear how you make out. All right, let's get to the next question. 
Trust issues with my boyfriend. Hi, I've been in a long distance relationship with my boyfriend for over one year and two months. He is 25 and lives in Jamaica. I'm 19 and I live in Sweden. I've traveled to his country and stayed at his place, met his family and friends who were nice to me. He has two children from two different women. I knew about that and I had no problem with him because he's my, he is my first love, the guy I lost my virginity to. I love his kids and make sure I am there for them, buy them stuff, send money to them when needed. My boyfriend is a caring, loving man and he gave me his password to his Facebook. I never doubted his loyalty to me, but lately he's been too comfortable in the relationship. We talk every day on the phone, but we are not Skyping. It's not like before. A couple of days ago, I went into his Facebook and I found a message which I had never seen. It was sent when we were dating for four months from his baby mama saying, you don't love me. Stop pretending. It's her you love. Go ahead and be with her. Enjoy your life. And I will definitely move on. I asked him about it and he said he never wrote to any girl before and I have his password all this time, and he is not in contact with his ex, that he does not hate his ex, but he is not in love with her and doesn't want to be in a relationship with her. And it's the ex who has been trying to get back together with him. And he shouted and told me I am an accuser and he is tired of begging me. I should go ahead and do what I want. He curses at me when he is angry, and I admit I too curse at him, but he takes it to the next level. He has never threatened to break up the relationship during each argument, but it's me who always tells him it's over and I'm trying to work on it. True, he did not write to his ex on Facebook because he is not foolish to since I have his password, but I believe he might have called her or gone over her place and the girl decided to write him on Facebook. Now I feel like I don't trust him or maybe he was going behind my back with her all this time. He wrote to my mother, not explaining anything, but saying I am immature and insecure of no, about normal stuff. He has not tried to call me for the past four days and I have not tried to contact him as well. I'm confused and hurt because I have been there for this guy and don't know what to do. Signed, heartbroken girl. Oh, this is quite a mess. Your boyfriend gave you his Facebook password, which would indicate that he has nothing to hide. He says that his ex wants him back, but that he doesn't. And in fact, you have verified that he never wrote back to her on Facebook. What the ex said on Facebook makes no sense to me. You quote her as saying, you don't love me. Stop pretending it's her you love. Go ahead and be with her. Enjoy your life. And I will definitely move on because she wrote to him when you were already four months into your relationship with him. So I can't see why you're concerned that he might have continued an involvement with her. And what I'm wondering is why he gave you his Facebook password. Did he do this to make you jealous? Did he do this to prove his loyalty to you? The real question is why you don't trust him, why you feel that he went behind your back and has been seeing his ex all the time. Do you have evidence other than what he said? Do you have evidence other than what his ex said? Does this guy have a history of cheating on his former girlfriends? What do you know about his past relationships? And you did say that he has two children from two different women. What's the story there? There's a lot you don't know about him and his past behavior. The long distance isn't helping you feel secure either, since you can't lay eyes on him every day. You need to have a calm talk with him, and you have to get to know him better. Share your insecurities without making him feel blamed. And check out Kiss Your Fights Goodbye. It's going to show you exactly how to talk to him on this topic. And also, check your own old scars out. Do you have your own issues around abandonment and trust, and how might that apply 
to your own history. At this point, there's a lot of talking that needs to be done. No accusing, talking. And I wish you so much luck. Okay, let's see if I can get to this next question. I only have two minutes. Let's see if I can do it fast. Why my ex is constantly lying to me. So we were together for three years. We lived together for two Three months before he broke up with me, we were having problems. I wasn't patient. I had attitude problems. He grew tired of it, moved out. He said he needed, he said he needed space, says he was confused about everything. A couple of days before he broke up with me, I found out he started going out with a girl from work. And one week after we broke up, he said he'd started talking to someone, but said we were just hanging out and he likes her because she's religious. I got mad and told him not to talk to her because she's just a rebound girl who's young and has issues. I believed him. And a month later, he decided to go out with her every week spending money that he shouldn't why is he lying to me about hanging out with her and not telling me the truth i already know everything the girl makes it obvious on social networking i miss first everything and i know we can work things out in the future should i confront him and tell him i know about everything or not i don't want to lose him and push him away help pete please lost and confused well basically um obviously focusing on the other woman is not your move if you rag on him about her you're going to be continuing more of the same behavior um if he's dating someone else and he's lying to you about it, and if he's truly done with you, he wouldn't need to lie with you about seeing someone else. He'd just see someone else and not hide it. Hide it. So the lying says that he's guilty about what he's doing, like he's two-timing you. And the feeling of guilt tells me he's still attached to you. Rather than uh, confront him, talk to him. Find out what's going on. Find out things like where you weren't making him happy. Find out what he needed that he wasn't getting. See if you can um, get clearer on what relationship essential nutrients were not being met for him and for you. Check out Makeup Don't Break Up. All of these tools will help you. I'd like to hear how you do. Take care, everyone. And I hope that my show helps you to head off an infidelity and heal and come back from one. See you next time on Ask Dr. Love. You've been listening to Ask Dr. Love with Dr. Jamie Turndorf. Sign up for Dr. Jamie's newsletter at askdrlove.com and receive her meditation audio that will guide you to open your heart and chill out during these stressful times. 